This is the Definitely Uncertain podcast. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Definitely Uncertain podcast brought to you by Gold Rock Capital, the 20 year old multifamily office servicing high net worth families around the world. Today on the podcast, I'm very pleased to have my partner and founder of Gold Rock Capital, Daniel Goldman, join us again. Hi, Daniel. Hi, everybody. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks. We are going to be talking today about an element of wealth and wealth management that doesn't always get discussed so much within the family office world, and that's philanthropy and the role of families, the social responsibility that families have in the philanthropic world. Daniel has carved out a niche for himself over the last few years, apart from his role at Gold Rock Capital, uh, helping managing families in doing exactly that. And so we wanted to have Daniel on the show to talk a little bit about his experiences and some of the lessons that he's learned over the journey he's taken in the last 20 years. Um, Daniel, we go through a tough economic period now. Uh, the corona shutdowns, the recession, now, that's all put a real toll on families globally around the world, here in Israel and elsewhere. Uh, from your view, what is the role of high net worth families in a period like this? So I, I can obviously speak uh, personally from uh, my experience and also the things that I've learned from my parents and particularly from my, uh, from my dad. Um, and we very much believed that uh, if you were fortunate enough to be in a position where you had uh, wealth, then part of your responsibility to society was to use that for the betterment of that society and other people. By the way, it's important to understand, and I know you know this as well from your own family background, that um, this is something that you do whether you have money or don't have money. It's just a question of uh, what you can use in order to make it work the best it can. When a family approaches this question, particularly at a time like this, uh, should there be complete flexibility? Should a family say, look, a needy person walks up to the door, we're going to help them out? Um, or on the other, taking it to the other extreme, should it be a more strategic approach where you have specific goals and you really just stick to them? I think in regular times, um, it's perfectly acceptable uh, for families of major wealth to, as you'd call it, strategically think about their philanthropy and focus down on the areas that are of interest to them. And it doesn't really matter for the purposes of our debate, whether we're talking about uh, children with special needs or you know, the safety of uh, wild animals or you know, education, health, whatever those things are to be focused on that. Um, I do think uh, um, that in a period of crisis and we're in a period of health and economic uh, crisis almost everywhere um, in the world, um, we should be opening our minds to consider what are the other things that we are called upon to do in this moment of uh, crisis and how, how we should act differently at that moment? How, how, how should a family act differently? What, what, what are some of the things that have been going through your mind and the mind of philanthropists with whom you're in contact? So uh, as you can probably imagine, over the last three months, I've been in touch with a, a tremendous number of uh, organizations who are working in the field on the one hand and uh, uh, you know, pretty large philanthropic uh, foundations on the other. Um, what, what really comes out of these uh, discussions are, are, are a couple of important insights, which I must say, I have been pleasantly surprised 
um, relative to previous uh, crisis that we've been through financially over the last sort of 10 to 20 years. And, and the, the key, um, I think, the key thing that, that we can learn from the response of major philanthropy this time around is they have understood that um, specifically the, the beneficiary organizations that they fund are in crisis and therefore the foundations need to show a level of flexibility as to how they go about the funding uh, process, number one. And number two, we've seen um, collectively foundations coming together to develop sort of corona funds, dedicated uh, allocations of, of big money that are uh, specifically directed at the problems arising from uh, corona itself. And, and how does the philanthropic world unwind from that position? So there is a sort of band-aid that needs to be applied at tourniquet because the world's bleeding, uh, but then we move back towards perhaps more business as usual uh, for phil philanthropists and, and foundations. So I think, I think the first thing to recognize is that the uh, situation that we're in, the lack of um, clarity about where we're going to be socially, financially, health-wise, etc., is going to be, I think, an ongoing um, issue. It's not going to stop now at the end of the first phase. And, and the way that we are looking at it, and, and a lot of the other people in the philanthropic uh, arena, are really considering out maybe even to the end of 2021 uh, as, the, as the period during which this uncertainty is going to uh, continue. This obviously has important ramifications as foundations sit down and consider what, what they are going to be doing in the next year to a year and a half. So things that maybe they were previously planning had there been no corona, I think are gonna be put on the back burner and instead of which they're gonna dedicate and be more focused on the areas that, that they have chosen to be in uh, in light of the uh, crisis situation. Let's go back to your personal journey, um, which has been 20 years. Uh, started off, I think it'd be true to say, with a very broad mandate and over time really narrowed down where today, I think it's fair to say you've become a expert in the world of uh, in the integration of uh, the ultra-Orthodox into Israeli society, which has been your chosen field. During that process, was that a difficult transition for you? You had to, I assume, leave you know, good causes along the way where you'd previously been supporting them and you were no, no longer. How did that work? So, in, in, going back, indeed, um, as far back as 20 years when my uh, dad passed away, I think the, the, the major change that I have uh, gone through was right at the beginning of that, and you'll remember a little bit like it was with the starters at the time, Every good cause that approached um, in that early period, I felt obliged in some way uh, to assist because I hadn't really developed for myself the filter that says, this is what I do want to do and this is what I uh, don't want to do. I think over time, what, what I have uh, tried to develop for myself and I would highly recommend other people doing the same is I, I, appreciating the fact that you're not necessarily responsible for everything in the world. And whilst one wants to do as much good as, uh, as you can, um, I think there's, you know, there is a limit. In fact, we have, our, we have a saying uh, of our own that you know, one must always strive to do as much as possible, but recognize that you can, never be, you, know, you can never fully take responsibility for everything. I think this allows you to then uh, focus in on the things which you have a passion for, a knowledge for, something that you can develop over time and, and 
over and above the, the giving aspect of the philanthropy, you then actually become an activist in the area where you're capable of giving as well. I think that's something which I've tried to uh, develop on. You're, you're right in saying that you, know, you have to make decisions about areas then that you do not uh, focus on. What I've done to try and help there is so that I don't feel too bad about uh, myself is you can always leave some money uh, and allocate it. Maybe it's a lesser amount of money so that things which you like but are outside of your, um, say, specialist area, you can continue to be a sort of more passive um, uh, giver. And of course, keep money aside for, you know, people who are sick, people who have come on hard times, etc. You never ever want to lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, all of this giving is in order to alleviate uh, uh, people's difficult uh, positions that they are in. That moves philanthropy out of the realm of giving um, or check writing into something more active, the way that you describe it, certainly. Yeah, and, and I think if we put our professional hats on as uh, family officers, um, you know, we've discussed this any number of times over the years about the challenges that our clients have as wealth moves from uh, sort of wealth creation generation to wealth preservation generation, um, the idea that the same sorts of passions around business building will appear in the second generation as they do in the, in the first generation are often very unrealistic. And so in, in, as a not, not every time, but as a, a potential replacement for that, I think activism through philanthropy is something which can bring you a similar type of passion that, than maybe our fathers or grandfathers or grandmothers had around, uh, you know, building the family initially. And, I, and so I think from a uh, family office perspective, it should always be something which we take into account because more than the uh, good causes uh, need us, we need the good causes in order to develop that uh, uh, passion. And, and there are parallels between the way you give and the way that you invest in the sense that in your chosen area, the, the where, where you build your expertise, um, you're going to do much better due diligence. You're going to choose the better manager. You're going to choose the more appropriate way of getting your money to the right end, you know, end user or the right, you know, quote unquote investment so that you get the best return. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, people who focus um, in a particular area and understand that ecosystem and how it works. And again, it really doesn't matter whether it's, you know, developing um, health systems in Africa or education in Israel or, you know, any, any topic that you could consider, the more of a deep dive you do into that area, the more likely it is that your investment uh, in philanthropy is going to be more impactful. And I would also say at the end of the day, your uh, personal satisfaction from actually doing the philanthropy will only, uh, will only grow, which hopefully will not just encourage you, but those that are around you, other family members to say, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to have a piece of that. I'd like to be part of that uh, circle. You mentioned before uh, the difference between the wealth creator generation, or we call that Gen 1 and you know, Gen 2 and 3 and beyond. In, in Gen 2 and 3, very often there are more stakeholders. There are more family members. Sometimes there's a mix of generations with very different uh, desires, perhaps different issues that speak to them. Uh, Gen 1 might be interested in education and Gen 2 uh, environmental matters. How do you balance those different family demands, uh, those priorities um, in, in the giving program? The simple answer to that is in a, in, in a similar way as you would in any sort of family governance um, issue re, you know, relating to wealth, 
is I think each family has to sort of consider how best to uh, bring those desires and, and passions to the fore. So you could have a situation where uh, there could be family agreement that actually the things which were important to uh, Gem One, and without naming names, I can uh, uh, certainly think of one family foundation that basically has taken a snapshot of exactly what the wealth creator did over you know, several decades of philanthropy and broadly has uh, uh, continued almost exactly the same uh, beneficiaries, not just the same areas, but the same beneficiaries. They've continued that, you know, a decade or two after the death of the, uh, of the family founder. And it's legit. It's fine. Um, on, on the flip side, and, and maybe in the extreme to the other way, you could say, well, okay, we have children of this uh, uh, family uh, or, or maybe even grandchildren, and each one of them should be entitled to uh, develop uh, the passion that they want to do and go out and build something or, or be active in, in that area. And I think there is a middle way that says, okay, there are uh, ideas around family values which do get passed and re replicated from generation to generation. And I think it's an important uh, component of keeping that family uh, together. And at the same time, you can say, well, we'll we will also allocate funds or resource or we're going to send um, next generation people out to do things on their own because in the end we want to balance between that continuity of uh, flow through the generations and the ability for each uh, member of the family to you know bring himself uh, to express his own ideas and passions within the philanthropy and the activism uh, that he has. Well, Daniel Golden, thank you very, very much for sharing that. Uh, we thank you all for listening. This is the Definitely Uncertain podcast. Please give us uh, feedback. We've got great feedback from uh, people watching and listening to the podcast, whether it's on YouTube or on iTunes so far. So please do email at podcasts at goldrockcap.com. Thanks very much for listening, everybody.